Welcome in, guys, to the episode, episode eight of In the Trenches Sports. Sean Ludden joined alongside by the coach, Chance Clemens. And, uh, you know, I know we're a little delayed getting this out to you guys. Had a little schedule issues this week that we had to work through uh, with me starting a new job and everything. Going into the insurance business, new career change. But I'm excited about it. Coach, I know you're getting ready for uh, high school football to get started. And so your schedule is about to become a lot more packed as well. Um, how far are we out till uh, till we get started there at Holland Hall? Uh, let's see, 48 hours. So we start Monday morning. Uh, there you go. What time is practice Monday? Uh, 6.30 a.m. Oh, they're getting it off easy. Yeah, it was going to be 6, and then we moved to 6.30. And then I'll go to work, and then after that I'll have middle school practice from 6 to 8. So it'll be a fun, fun week. Hey, I know you're looking forward to it, though. Oh, I absolutely am. So I know it's uh, – I'm I'm ready for some football. And, you know, we're talking about football. We do it every single week. And we finally got to watch some football this week with the Hall of Fame game. And I, I know it's the preseason. It's games that don't count. But it's that refresh that we're able to finally have that we can breathe. We can sit back, open up a cold one if you want, if that's your preference, and watch some football. And that's what we got to do with uh, – the Raiders and the Jaguars Thursday night. Now it was delayed because of uh, weather, but what were your takes on the Hall of Fame game? It was good. I I enjoyed uh, the little bit I watched. I think I watched most of the first half. Um, they you know ran a pretty simple, basic game plan, which both coaches agreed on. But you kind of just saw what the – basically what the fundamental of these two teams is going to be and what we kind of expected. Uh, mm-hmm. Strong run games with some play action and passing and a lot of screens so far for the Raiders especially. Yes. Um, well, um, you know, we you didn't know, get to see the Carr and Adams duo, which we completely expected. Um. I was a little surprised ETN didn't play for the Jags just to see him do something because he, you know, it's been over a year since he's played, but that's okay. You know, keep him fresh a little bit longer and we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. Exactly. You know, it was, uh, you know, that first preseason game, the Hall of Fame game, the first week, couple weeks into training camp, that playbook is extremely simple. You're not rushing a lot of stuff into these guys. So, you know, you're, you're seeing some good plays in the middle of the field where it's wide open. Um, you've got the large distance of yardage to work, but the, once you get set down inside those 20s, your playbook becomes very limited, um, very basic plays and everything else. And that's where we saw these teams struggle um, in, in the beginning of the game, especially with the Raiders. A couple times they were down into the red zone and they had to settle for field goals. Um, from Carlson, but I was, I was impressed with the Raiders. Um, Abdullah uh, was very, very impressive. Um, 
with what he did out of the backfield for him. Uh, good several long-distance runs, but then also just very physical as well. And I, I was shocked to see um, some of the players suited up and in pads like they were instead of just regular street clothes, especially warming up for the game. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence, ETN, uh, Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Max Crosby, those guys were all fully dressed out, um, but then never actually played. So it kind of shocked me to see them actually fully dress out and everything instead of just being on the sideline in street clothes. Yeah, same here. You know, we, we kind of expected they weren't going to play. Um, so I don't know if it was just a – Mandate and they all had to do it or what, but could be a routine thing, just trying to get them back into that, you know, routine of going through pregame and everything else. Um, but my goodness, like, did you hear the amount of guys that the Jaguars brought to the Hall of Fame game? No, I didn't. 91 players. Jesus. 91 guys on that sideline suited up and in a non-traditional NFL locker room as well. You have to remember, Tom Benson Stadium, that's a high school stadium. These locker yeah. rooms are made for high school kids. They're, they're not your big boy NFL locker rooms. And so you're trying to fit 91 guys in, into a locker room, especially the size and caliber of NFL players. I mean, that's that that's that's a lot of well, not a lot of room no that's that's very limited and so and it's interesting because it's how many guys you know are you bringing just to bring and how many guys are you bringing to actually evaluate because um, you know your roster is not that big so you're going to have to cut down roughly 40 people yeah, I mean, you they're know, and part of them are going to have to do the practice squad and stuff. So I, I feel like I don't know if Peterson's just wanting to completely reevaluate everybody possible and just move forward and have a complete restart, or if I, I don't know, it's hard to explain. It is, it was uh, definitely an interesting thing to see and especially when they mention that um but i always love this time of year though when the hall of fame game comes around because then we can reflect back on the hall of fame class and what they've done for the game uh how they contributed but then also what they're doing for the game now in the future um continuing on that legacy and that's one thing that being in the Hall of Fame is is why you're elected to the Hall of Fame, why your peers voted you, why the writers voted you, everything else is because you have contributed so much to the game, but you still are and you're living on the legacy. You're passing it on to future, you know, kids, you know, generations, everything else um, and making it safer, relatable and anything. Um, and I, I think this year's class is, is one that has definitely given so much to the NFL um, during their time. Absolutely. You know, not a, 
for us, you know, sometimes we don't remember all these guys necessarily at times. Um, I think that's a little different nowadays with NFL being so being broadcast so differently and you can almost see you could almost see every game that's played every week. Exactly. You know, and 20 years ago as we were growing up, you really only got like three games. You know, Monday night, Sunday night and whatever was local during the day. So mm-hmm. um, you know, cuz some of these names I've heard before just from just hearing their name. Um, but I've only seen, you know, maybe two or three of them actually play. Um, but I think it's definitely a great class. Um, it's one that we'll remember. And it's a class that is – it's a strong class. Even though it might not be big names like Ed Reed and all those – from a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. it's really a strong class though that's done a lot and has really proven itself. And that's that's one thing I, I, I want want to touch on there that you, you just mentioned is that they're not the big names. They're guys that were some of them down actually down in the trenches fighting. Um Richard Seymour, Tony Baselli, um those two guys right there. Tony Baselli, the first ever Jaguar to go into the NFL Hall of Fame. That's awesome. That is saying something for that franchise. You know, he he truly meant something to the Jaguars. He came in and, you know, when that franchise was brand new and fought his way into this league and shaped the way football was going to be played down in Jacksonville with the mentality on the line. And he did amazing. Then you've got Cliff Branch, you know, one of the great receivers um, in Oakland history, in Raiders history, um, posthumous, uh, you know, being uh, inducted to the Hall of Fame after his death. Um, Leroy Butler. Chance, do you know what Leroy Butler is famous for? Not off the top of my head, no. Okay, do you know who he played for? Green Bay. Okay. Leroy Butler created the Lambo Leap. Oh, okay. He is the originator of the Lambo Leap. That's awesome. That is. And he's and he's not even an offensive player. So that's kind of yeah. that's kind of cool. But um, he did uh, he won the Super Bowl with the Packers when they played the Patriots back in Super Bowl 31. So that's that's pretty special. Yes. Then you've got Sam Mills. Uh, many know him from his time with the Saints linebacker. Uh, five Pro Bowls, 12 seasons, 181 games. Um, Dude was a stud. Yes. And Absolutely. for his size, too. 5'9", 230, 232 is what they have, but I mean, he's a small guy, but he was stocky, and he would hit you, and he he made the stops that were needed. Mm-hmm. Um, then Richard Seymour. You know, I think a lot of us, when we think of Richard Seymour, we think of him with the Patriots and how in his first four 
seasons, he won three Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that's phenomenal. It is. I mean, you're looking at a guy come out of Georgia, six <clears throat> six, three seventeen, playing weight. Um, with the Patriots from 01 to 08 and then went to the Raiders from 2009-2012, I still remember um, Richard Seymour. And it was the 2011 game against the Chiefs and Raiders um, Christmas Eve at Arrowhead. I, me and my buddy went to this game, and the Chiefs were setting up for a game-winning field goal, end of the game, and Richard Seymour pits, puts up his big old paw and blocks it, and the Raiders mm-hmm. win that game. I still remember that. That is one of my, you know, one of my lasting memories of Richard Seymour, you know, especially because it happened right in front of me as well. Um, but he could just dominate and you know I, he was truly one of the first ones to really change the way the defensive end defensive tackle position was played and i i, yeah. I would say in, in in the modern era in the modern era because you had guys you know in the past um you know buck buchanan's guys like them um but you know when we start getting into the modern era of football you know the early 2000s, everything else, Warren Sapp. Um, but Richard Seymour truly, truly was changing it to where it was more physical finesse um, instead of just being a big body guy. Yeah, and he was he was a such a talent that he was able to kind of stay with you know, that Patriots defense was phenomenal in the early 2000s. And for him to be able to play such significant time as a young guy for them with Rabel and with Tony and uh, with uh, McGahee, Mm -hmm. it really was impressive to see a young guy play with them and – he made an impact and he was a vital impact to those Super Bowls. Yes. So then we go on to one of my favorite coaches of all time, Dick Vermeil. Very, very emotional coach, one that wears his emotions on his sleeves. I mean, you look at him and he's either you could just tell the way he's feeling. He's either got tears in his eyes or anything, but, you know, I mean, I, I don't know what you can say about Dick Vermeil other than he's the type of guy that fought to get where he was. Um, and he, he didn't have anything handed out and given to him. He worked his way up from high school into college and, you know, junior college and everything else, and then finally got a chance for the Philadelphia Eagles um, in 76, and then retired after the 82 season, took 15 years off, was in the broadcast booth, and then was like, hey, you know, let me come back out of retirement, go to the Rams, and look what he did with the Rams and Kurt Warner, took him to the Mm -hmm. Super Bowl and won it, and then took 
two more seasons off and came to Kansas City. And you always look at his teams, and it was always about year two, year three. Once he got, you know, guys bought into his program and everything else, that's when they became very dangerous. And that's what happened in Philly. That's what happened in St. Louis. And that's what happened in Kansas City. And I tell you what, Dick Vermeil probably would have won a Super Bowl in Kansas City if it wasn't for the no-punt game in 2003 against the Colts in the divisional round of the playoffs. And if it wasn't for Peyton Manning. I mean, Peyton Manning was a stud. He was. But, I mean, if you look at that Chiefs offense in 2003, Trent Green, yes, not the most standout name for quarterback, but the weapons he had. You had Priest Holmes, Tony Gonzalez. um, Remember correctly, Eddie Kennison was on uh, the receiving core as well. Um, you had the offensive line, one of the probably the greatest offensive lines ever with really Rove, Brian Waters, AC Wigman, Will Shields, um, all right there on the front. And, I mean, they were just a lights-out offense, putting up points and able to dominate. And if it wasn't for, you know, Peyton Manning and the Colts, I really think Kansas City could have won the Super Bowl that year. I mean, they possibly could have. Um, now, was that was that early 2003? So, 22 season? So, it was uh, – let's see. 2003 Chiefs. So that is the season they went 13-3. and three. Um, They lost in the divisional round. Um, so what would have been in 2004, the divisional round in 2004 um, to the Colts. So the 2003-2004 season. Okay. So, I mean, Not but... trying to... Yeah. Priest, Priest Holmes, Trent Green, Tony Richardson... Larry Johnson, Dante Hall, Johnny Morton, Eddie Kennison, Tony Gonzalez, um, Jason Dunn. Um, you know, defensively, you had Scott Fujita. Scott Fujita chance. That guy, my goodness. He, I mean, he, he was a hard hitter. Um, Sean Barber, Jerome Woods, Eric Warfield. Mike the Mad Polak Meslowski, Eric Hicks, um, William Barty. I mean, that there were just so many names on that team that, gosh, it, it was just a wasted opportunity. I'm trying to look. Yeah, see, because that year the Colts had Dwight Freeney, mm-hmm. uh, Donald Strickland, Walt Harris. So yeah, they had they had a stacked defense that year, which yep. they didn't do anything. I mean, they lost the Patriots by ten the next week, and then I'm pretty sure that's when uh, 
the Patriots won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yep, that is one of the uh, Super Bowls that Richard Seymour and the Patriots won. Because 2003 yep. was against the Panthers. Carolina Panthers. Yep. They won by a field goal. And Jake DeLome. So, yeah. And then they finally – Payton finally gets to the Super Bowl back in 07. Mm-hmm. Finally wins. So, and then he skipped a player – uh, Brian Young played for the no, 49ers. No, yeah, we, we hadn't got to him yet. Okay. I was going to say, yeah. you can't skip over this defensive. Oh, no. No, I had, hadn't, hadn't gotten to him yet. Yeah, so Brian Young, you know, 94 to 2007 with the 49ers. Um, 14 seasons. And, you know, all pro, all rookie honors. Um I mean, how many Pro Bowls did he make? Four Pro Bowls, named to the NFL's all-decade team of the 90s. Um, All-Pro twice and first-team All-Pro in 96 and 98. He was just a physical, physical guy. And then coming out of one of of the best colleges, too, Notre Dame – Especially with during that time too, in the in the early '90s when Notre Dame was, you know, especially at at one of the top top tiers of their level. Well, and he also, I love how more than ten percent of his tackles were sacks. Yes, eighty nine and a half sacks for six hundred eighteen tackles. That is. Like, that's nuts. That is. And he averaged, it didn't sound like a lot, but he averaged just under three tackles a game in 208 games. So, I mean, it didn't sound like a lot, but that's still pretty significant. It is. Especially after a long career like that. So, I mean, if you take, if you take out the years where he wasn't as productive or as big of a role player, he's probably averaging five tackles a game. Mm-hmm. In the more more uh, significant years of his career, but so and then we can't forget about the final name on this Hall of Fame inductee list, the. I would say grandfather of NFL modern day officiating, Art McNally. He is the first ever NFL official to be voted into the Hall of Fame. So is he the one to blame for all the terrible riffing calls nowadays? I wouldn't put that on him. I Let's put that on... Uh, oh, We can just put that on Roger Goodell. Yeah, Goodell, or how about um, who's the guy with NBC and um, Pro Football Focus, uh, Florio or whatever? Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's blame him as well. I, I can't stand him. 
Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, you look look at Art McNally. I mean, from 1959 to 2015 with the NFL um, in some form of officiating or supervisor role um, to development of officials and leadership and everything else. Um, the father of instant replay um, brought instant replay into the game. That's awesome. We, that is. That doesn't sound like something that's big, but think of how many games that has helped change to bring a more a more um, effective and efficient and accurate game. Yes. I think it was extremely, extremely awesome to see what the NFL did um, Thursday night with the officiating crew um, to honor Art McNally. So every single official in the Hall of Fame game Thursday night was the longest tenured, most experienced official in each one of the positions for for an officiating crew. That's cool. So you had from your head umpire all the way down to, you know, the down judge, the side official, to the guy in, you know, replay and everything. They were all the most experienced, longest tenured in their position. So that that's actually a really cool just nod of the hat to Art McNally there because all those guys wouldn't have been in this position if it wasn't for the knowledge and tutoring and everything else they would have received from Art McNally because these are all guys that when they started in the league as an official they learned and trained from Art McNally yeah so got to give props to the NFL They're trying to do something right, but you know, and you, <laughs> I, I laugh that now you said trying to do something right, because I wasn't going to bring it up until we got to the team, but we can just start with them if you want. I mean, let okay, let's do the NCAA top twenty-five first. Um, let's okay. give our, let's give our next five and then, you know, where we're going after, after this. Um, so give me, so let, let's do a recap real quick of last week, um, of your, of who your teams were last week. So you're 25 through 21. You had Utah state, San Diego state, Texas A&M, North Carolina state and Arkansas. And so this yes. week, 20 through 16, who do you have? So to start with 20, I got Iowa. Um, and I'll repeat this again. This is based off of what they did last year and just moving forward. So I'm not changing everything due to this year. Um, it's just everyone gets a good starting point based off of what they did last year. And then we'll move forward after week one. So I'm going to go with Iowa with 20. Uh, Oregon at 19. Uh, Houston at 18. Wake Forest at 17. 
And surprisingly, I kept Louisiana uh, at 16, the Raging Cajun. Okay. They're a little high. I don't think they're going to finish in the top 25, but they had a phenomenal year last year. I don't even have them in my top 25. Well, I wouldn't either, but I'm just, you know what? They went 13 and one. I'm going to give them the respect and just, I'm going to start you in the top 25, but I think they're going to, they're going to kind of flip over next year, this year. And, They'll be out of the top 25 pretty quick. Uh, yeah, probably after week one. Well, they'll win week one because they play uh, Southeast, like a division double okay. school. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and they'll win that. But so, same thing, Wake Forest. I'm not sure if they're going to stay in there. They had a great year last year, but I, I think it's just, they're going to hurt a little bit this year moving forward. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So who do you have as your, or what's your recap from 25 right. and 21 from last week? So recap, you know, I did uh, a little bit extra and I had some receiving votes as well. So my receiving votes were Wake Forest, Cincinnati, North Carolina, UCLA, and Penn state. And then 25 through 21, I had Wisconsin, Texas, Florida, Tennessee, and Kentucky. Um, So now going 20 through 16, I'm right on board with you with Iowa. Um, Very strong showing last year, and I'd like to see them continue this year as well. Iowa's kind of always that sleeper in the Big Ten to where if they have the right player or they have the right mindset um, in the season, they can really – upset the way things are happening in the big 10 look what Mm -hmm. they did to penn look what they did to penn state last year and one thing you can always guarantee out of iowa as well is a very strong tight end play they are tight end you yes um byu i've got 19 um arkansas in at 18 i think sam Pittman and the razorbacks they're going to have to battle back this year but I, I, I kind of like where they're at right now and see what they can do in the SEC again this year, maybe make a name for themselves and continue off the hot, hot streak they had last year. Um, Miami, I'll put them at 17. Maybe Mario Cristobal can turn that program around. And then Ole Miss is coming in at 16 for me. I think uh, Lane Kiffin and those Rebels, they, you know, yes, Matt Corral is gone. Um so it is going to be a change of pace in the quarterback position there on the offensive side. But I think uh, Kiffin and his, his squad, they, they can, uh, you know, maybe, maybe have a one or two upsets in the SEC this year, but still, still look for maybe an eight to nine win season. Okay. I can respect that. I haven't done their um, schedule just yet on what I think their prediction will be for wins this year just yet. I'll do that next week. Um, But I think Ole Miss is – I think they're a top 20 team for sure. Definitely. Definitely could maybe fight for a top 12 spot, but it's really going to play out on, you know, who who can they upset this year. And right now, 
they're an upset team until they can prove that they can consistently win. Mm-hmm. So. So, all right. So next week we will have uh, spots 15 through 11 as we continue our countdown of the top 25 in the NCAA, leading us up to week one of the college football season, which starts around August 27th. But, Chance, before we get to the NFL, I've got to bring up some NAIA and Ottawa University for you. Ottawa and Coach Nick Davis have released a new helmet. Uh, did you get to see it, and what are your thoughts? I have not seen it. I'm looking it up right now. Oh. Uh, I know he posted something about it, and I didn't click on the link. Um, but he's I'm excited for what Coach Davis is doing. He oh, I was too. there my first year. I don't think he was there your freshman year, was he? No. He had uh, okay, went on yeah. to Rose, uh, Rose Holman that year. Yes. Um, so I liked him when he was there. He was a GA for us at the time when I was there. I don't know if he really cared for me, um, which is fine. I mean, I was an idiot back then. But um, I like what he's doing. He's had a little bit of change at OC. Um, Coach Mendez has stepped down and moved. So I'm curious which to see what is, he's going to do there. Which is given because, you know, Julian, his wife, Sam, she took the uh, head coaching gig at University of uh, Texas Pine Bluff in Odessa, Texas. Um to lead that softball program. And so Mendez, uh, Julian, he is actually the tight ends coach at Odessa High. Nice. With the Broncos. Um, So, you know, there you and him have got some, uh, you know, talking to do since you both lead the tight end group. Yeah, I I think that'll be – Interesting, because he's such a great coach as well. He is. Relates to his players so well. Oh, yeah. And I'm looking at the new helmet. It's still got the the OU. It's got the new OU logo, which is kind of like Baylor's font a little bit. And it's oversized. Yeah, which is interesting. And it's like the letters are the sticker. It's not one huge massive sticker. So that's a little different. I'm going to strongly say that was a pain in the butt to put on a helmet, especially when you got to do over 100 of those. Uh Um, But I love the arrow as the stripe down the middle. That is very cool. As we are the Ottawa Braves. So I love that kind of keeping with the uh, Ottawa tribe kind of influence there with the arrow. I still love the matte black helmets. Little Ottawa logo on the front under the face mask and the Ottawa name on the back. Yeah, I like it. It's it's something new. 
I don't know if I love the big oversized OU, but it, hey, I'm cool with it. I like it, but then part of me is traditionalist, and Ottawa has always been known for just that just iconic, just matte black helmet with that arrowhead black and gold OU. Yeah. That just looked intimidating and looked sharp. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I love this helmet. I like the design, but the arrow for me is a bit too much. I think it's, um, makes it a bit cartoonish almost. Um, like it, it's trying to do too much, at least in my opinion. I, I really want to see it up close and personal or on the field. But from seeing it in the picture, in the in the image, you know, video that's displaying, it's it just feels too much for me. Um, now I do love Ottawa on the back of the helmet, um, on that kind of nameplate there, and I like that the KCAC finally has a sticker for the conference. Right, just like just finally about long years. enough. <laughs> um, I I do like that they included the arrowhead on the uh on the front plates of the helmet there but the arrow is is just a little too much for me i'm fine with the big oversized ou um i think the only thing that's ruining it for me is the arrow i can see that now did you see that they might do a he posted about might doing a white helmet oh yeah, I don't know if I like that though. Oh, that that would be interesting. I'll uh, I'll send you the. I I, I see it. I see it. Okay. It's interesting. I I would like that with the gold uniform and the away whites. I think the away whites would be cool. Like if they wore the away whites and Sterling did their um, their blues, yeah. Now, so, yeah, that's ar- interesting. The arrow on the white helmet, I like. I don't know why. The arrow on the black helmet, not so much. Well, I think the arrow on the black helmet. I think it's just because it's a shut. It kind of looks a little awkward with the uh, with the flex, or not yeah. the shut, but the uh, speed flex mm-hmm. of the Rydell, which are always weird to put a stripe on. I hated doing it as a coach because then you have to cut it to make it. I don't know because it looks like you're just putting a sticker over like a a big hole or something. Yes, with the. The, with the white helmet, it's more of a traditional, just flat top, you know, so it looks nice and clean. But yeah, that's, I do like that's, it on the black. So I, I'm definitely excited to see uh, what Coach Davis brings to this Ottawa program. Um, and, uh, you know, Ottawa is improving their athletics day after day with the developments they have done with the weight room, the training facilities and everything else. Um, 
So we definitely need to uh, make a trip back back to the stomping grounds and uh, visit. Yeah, we can work on that. So I know it's a little tough for you uh, being in high school football season and everything else, but I definitely think we need to try and try and work on something to go up there maybe for a Saturday game or something. Yeah, we can we can look at try and do that. So, so all, right. all right. Let's get into the meat of this. I think you're biting at the bit to talk about it. I know I am. We were going to we're going to break down the AFC North this week. Um, I was going to run us down through the way they finished in the division. Um, but we we can't just not talk about this at, at the beginning. I mean, the Cleveland Browns, the NFL, Roger Goodell, Sue Robinson, Deshaun Watson, this whole big old mess. Um, so Sue Robinson, if our listeners don't know, was appointed to um, – make the ruling for Deshaun Watson on how many games he was going to be suspended um, by the NFL. So her ruling came out and said that he violated to a certain extent, the conduct policy of the NFL, uh, which only in her opinion merited a six game suspension. Now, Roger Goodell probably knew this was going to happen. So he and the NFL have already appealed the suspension and are seeking a indefinite suspension of Deshaun Watson that may be at least one season long, if not longer. Now, because of this, the NFL PA and DeMora Smith are now suing the NFL as well. And while all this is happening, Deshaun Watson settles three more cases with the women um, that he allegedly, you know, and I, 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 I think he's in the wrong every single bit of this. I mean, how do you not have, how are you not in the wrong when 30 different women all come out and say that you abused him or made advances on him in some different way in a massage parlor? 30 different women. I mean, it's you, you did wrong, dude. And so the NFLPA is going, Oh no, no, no. You know, we're going to protect him. He doesn't need to be suspended, all this other stuff. Um, and clearly it's his way and the NFLPA's way of just trying to go, Oh no, he didn't violate anything. I mean, I'm sorry. He deserves to be suspended in at least indefinitely, at least a year. Um, if not indefinitely, how can the NFL justify suspend or how, how can Sue Robinson justify suspending him only six games, but then Calvin Ridley suspended a year for gambling and he wasn't even gambling on his own team or anything. Well, and it's her reasoning was because it was not violent and so, and, and this falls back on the NFL. 
if you would have handled this correctly back in 2014 after you screwed up with the Ray Rice incident mm-hmm. and sat down and rewrote your policies and your handbook and your rules and your suspensions and stuff, you could have done this yourself. But you added a third party because you screwed up in the past so bad so many times with it that you said, you know what, we'll let a third party do it because apparently we don't know what we're doing, even though you already had in mind what you wanted to do for a suspension. Yes. Like you wanted to give them a full season and more possibly, but you said, we'll have a third person do it. And this is what happened. So now you're appealing to still get the full suspension. And if it six games hold up, you're screwed because you can't, you can't come back and just, well, never mind. We're going to go with our own opinion because you're just going to get sued yourself. Yep. So now you have someone who gambled out for a season because that's what you put on them because you wanted to make sure, well, this is the first offense. So we're going to put a hard stop to it. You know, I'm sorry. If they're going to go to a third party on this for a suspension, it needs to be for everything. Exactly. It should be for every instance. If you're going to have a third party rule on suspensions, then it should be on every single suspension. It's not just a pick here, choose basis. Exactly. And they, they don't do that. Which I would understand if you had the outline of the rules and everything in place. But because you screwed up before, you decided to do this, which is fine. But then when it came to Calvin Ridley, and if your head you should have waited on his suspension or you should have gave him for half the season and then moved forward. So you could have compared or something, but mm-hmm. now it just looks ridiculous. And so if they do not get the full season and the six games is upheld, or if the six games gets moved to eight, 10, 12, whatever, but it's not a full season, I would look back at Kyle and Ridley and I would adjust his, like, hey, you get a four-game suspension. Yeah. Like, Dis- we're going to Dis- fine you, but we'll give you a four-game suspension. We're done. And then if someone does it again, okay, now we'll get, like, now we'll put a stronger hold on it because you don't, whatever. But Hey, I'm just glad they didn't go Pete Rose on Calvin Ridley and ban him for life. No, I completely agree. I'm, that's and that, one reason that's, no one likes baseball is they don't even know what they're doing with their own sport. Yeah, and that's a whole other topic that we could go off on a whole other tangent about that Pete Rose should be put back into the baseball and allowed to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he's your all-time hits leader. But that's neither here nor there. We're talking about Deshaun Watson and Calvin Ridley and how Deshaun Watson should have a stronger suspension and how Roger Goodell again is ruining the league. I I, I think ever since he has come into the league as commissioner, there's been, there's been some good improvements, safety, you know, and development, you know, of technology has been great. But when it comes to, 
conduct, policy, suspensions, everything else like that. He does not know how to, you know, run it efficiently. No, and I think, I don't know if it's because he doesn't want to. It's almost like he's trying to play both sides of the owners and the players, which we've seen with, uh, I don't even know the NBA's fan, uh, commissioner right now. I can't think of it. Adam Silver. He's, com- he's completely on the player side. Like, he's trying to do everything oh. for the players, which is screwed the NBA up almost, where they're going to have a lockout coming pretty soon. But you're also going to see a possible lockout with the NFL just with their contracts and stuff. So that's a future episode as well. I can't um, stand how the NBA calls their owners governors now. Yeah, it's so stupid. Oh, it but, will make... Mm, mm. I'll just anyways. stop talking before I really dig myself a hole. We'll, uh, let, let's go ahead and start talking about schedule and let's um, talk about, let's talk, yeah, moves. let's, let's just talk about the Browns. I mean, we're both feel extremely strong about the Deshaun Watson thing. Um, so let's, let's continue with the Browns and there's a rumor circulating now. I don't know if you've heard it, but there's a potential. They will sign Colin Kaepernick to this roster as well. So that would then give them Jacoby Brissett, Josh Rosen, and potentially Colin Kaepernick fighting for that starting position. Right now, I'm going to stay with Jacoby Brissett. Like, if you want He's to bring Kaepernick in, great. Bring him in. If he beats up Brissett, great. But he's not going to beat up Deshaun Watson. So in no. six games, you're going to replace him, and you're going to have to cut a quarterback which you're probably going to cut Josh Rosen, which is understandable. Um, But then do you want to put up with the headache of Kaepernick complaining about he got replaced by Watson, even though he hasn't played and he thought he was producing, he was doing great, or does he become a trade asset? But I don't think that's possible because no one wants to deal with that. Um, So honestly, I think that's more just talk. Than anything, I think it's more they're trying to just bring some other news besides exactly. I was, and suspension. I was just about to say if the Browns, you know, the only reason why this is circulating is because the Browns want to finally change this the scope of the PR headlines and get it off to Sean Watson and put it onto something of, oh hey look we're going to bring in Kaepernick. That's the only reason why that rumor is circulating. Yeah. Now, the Browns did make some other offensive moves. We know about the trade for Deshaun Watson, but then they traded, you know, just a few weeks ago, Baker Mayfield to the Panthers. And then, you know, you're, I don't know how you feel about it, but Amari Cooper was traded um, to the Browns from the Cowboys. I loved it. I don't think we got enough back for him, but part of that is because his contract was so heavy. Um, mm-hmm. I like that we brought Cooper in, but we overpaid for him, and we still didn't utilize him the best way possible. And so it made I, I'm not a big Cooper guy, 
Um, but I was, I was fine with us having him. I just think we paid too much money for him and we didn't utilize him correctly. Mm-hmm. So I was fine with us trading him. I think we should have got something back for him that was a little better than what we did. But he's right now, he's, you know, your number one receiver in Cleveland. And we've heard that Deshaun Watson is preferring Peoples Jones right now as his top guy, as his um, top target. So it's interesting. I don't know how they're going to use Cooper. If they use him more as a double coverage type guy to open up the field for somebody else, then great. But if you don't get Cooper's targets, I don't, I just don't see this being a positive thing. I think he's, they're going to use him kind of how they did in Dallas. And, you know, he'll be that big body receiver, draw double coverage, get him some receptions, but not as many as he wants. And that opens up the field then for guys like people Jones. Um, you know, to, you know, come in and have the other side of the field or, the, you know, wherever they're yeah. at and get those receptions there. Exactly. So Now, I do have a question. So, so right now, we'll say Watson suspended six games. So, their first six games, they play the Panthers, the Jets, Steelers, Falcons, Chargers, Patriots. Now I had, I've only changed one game and that's the Patriots. And I had the Patriots winning. I did have Cleveland, but I think when it comes down to it, I think New England would win and be more stable than Jacoby Brissett with Cleveland. Other than that, I still have them beating Carolina, beating the Jets, losing the Steelers already beating the Falcons just because the Falcons are young and they have a terrible defense and I still have the Chargers beating them. Would you agree with that? I I think they either between Carolina or New and the Jets, I think they lose one of those games. Um, now which one it is I don't know, but I think I think the Panthers be careful with them in that game because I think Baker Mayfield is going to want to come out and prove himself if he gets the starting nod. Um, mm-hmm. And so I could see kind of a bit of a revenge game going, oh, hey, look what I can do, you know, against yeah. my former team. Um, but then I'm I'm getting keen on Zach Wilson this year. I think this is the in – in year two, I think he breaks out – um, doesn't fully break out, but I, I think him and the Jets could potentially, you know, have some games where they just completely ball out. And against Cleveland, it could be possible. Um, so one of those one of those two games there, I think they lose. Um, they definitely lose against Pittsburgh. Now Atlanta, it's a toss up. I think they win that, but it's going to come down to the wire. Um, they definitely lose against L- against the Chargers, and I think they lose against New England. Okay, so we're still in the same boat, about two and four. Yeah. So and then 
Watson's first game back may have the Ravens, which I'm giving the Ravens that win just because it's at home and it's Watson's first game back. So they're still, even though he might be practicing with the ones a little bit, I don't think leading up to that week when you play, he's going to be on the same page and be as consistent. So I'll give the Ravens the advantage on that game. So, But I I did give them the win over the Bengals in week eight on Monday Night Football, surprisingly enough. Mm, chancers, we're, we've got some time to do there. Well, and we'll get to the Bengals in a second. But now if Watson's suspension comes down as a full season, I'll have to reevaluate and probably change a couple more games. But as of right now, I have an 8-9 finishing second in the division. I think they win no more than six games this year. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just – I'm not sold on this Cleveland Browns team. I don't see – I don't see buy-in from the players. You know, I I see it on the defensive side, but I don't see – I don't see much – cohesion or mesh on the offensive side of the ball um i just i'm not sold on him and i'm sorry cleveland but you're going the wrong direction again um you started trending up with baker and then he started you know having his issues and everything else and Cleveland started having their issues as an organization again, and now they're going back down the hole, and I think they're going to be there for a couple more seasons if they don't figure it out quick. Yeah, because Nick Chubb, I think this is Nick Chubb's last year being a top guy. Yeah. And so that's why I give them eight wins, just because I think they'll be able to run the ball successfully. Uh, They still have Hunt, so – but does they, Kareem Hunt produce? He does. I think he's a great receiving back as well. And so he, he's, he's he got to stay. Speed. He needs to stay healthy. He does. But I think Chubb is – I think Chubb's strong enough to carry the forefront of the load. And so if Hunt stays healthy throughout the season, he's a great number two to catch the ball do some screens with, and they do have, um, what's his name, Forrest as the third option, who's kind of playing for a contract, if it's with Cleveland or somebody else. So he has to be very efficient when he gets limited play time to Mm -hmm. maybe help get a contract next year somewhere. And so I don't see Chubb being – being in Cleveland for more than two more years, but I think this is his last year of being efficient. And so I think that's going to help them carry the load in a lot of games, especially late in the season. And, you know, you, you could be right there. Um, I'm just, I'm just not buying into him yet. And, you know, Cleveland, I'm sorry, you've, you've got to prove yourself and you started to, and then you started doing Cleveland things again. And until you can redeem and actually show me that you're not going to 
you know, go back to old habits, then I'm sorry, you're you're going to you're going to stay all, all over in the in the corner for me, um, you know, and, and I'm going to keep you down in the cellar and not really pay much attention to Cleveland. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, that's just how it is. And, you know, if, if the listeners out there, you know, I, I hope they feel the same way as me. I mean, Cleveland's always going to be Cleveland. It's kind of like how Detroit's always going to be Detroit until they start proving themselves differently again. Um, you know, and we're, we're, we'll get to that in the next couple of weeks as well when we start talking about, you know, the NFC side of things. But Dan Campbell is – looking to change things around there, but Cleveland started to, and they're going back in the other direction. So I, I've just, they're the, they're the stepchild of the AFC North. And ever since they came back into the league in, you know, 2000 after Art Modell up and moved the Browns to Baltimore and all that big old mess, Cleveland's just been the laughing stock of the league. Yeah, they're they're not a great organization, and you know it, start, I think it, start, it starts it starts at the top, you know until yeah. they until they start ownership wise, you know making decisions that benefit this franchise, um, and putting money into the franchise, and then having GMs and presidents and coaches that you know will actually invest and you don't fire them within a year or two as well, then we could be getting somewhere. But until those changes are made in a culture sense, then Cleveland is going to continue to go down the toilet and just stink the NFL up. And that and they could totally go out this year and prove me wrong and, you know, contend for the AFC North title. There's, there's the potential. I mean, that's the parody of the NFL. But right now, the way this Cleveland Browns franchise and this team sits and the negative PR that just surrounds them, I think there is too much noise out there that is a distraction for the players. And once you have distractions in the locker room, like Deshaun Watson is right now, then it just brings a funk into your locker room. It brings a negativity potentially into your locker room. And you start having a decline in play, a decline in morale, a overall de- decline in everything in, in the product. No, I, I completely agree. And, you know, the Bengals have been almost in the same position where they've been an organization that's been consistent with putting a decent product on the, on the field, staying consistent enough to compete for the playoff spot. Um, you know, so what do you think, what do you think of them this next year as we're moving into you know, Super Bowl loss, Burrow's third year, Chase's second year. You know, you put – you have as our notes as can they repeat as an, at 
can they repeat as the winner of the North right now? Which no, I, is a strong possibility this year right now, I think. I think right now the year, they're the overall favorites to win the AFC North. Um, I think potentially Burrow and Chase only get better. Um, and, you know, you look at – they didn't really do much in the way of additions or, you know, taking anyone off the team in the offseason. Um, so, really, they're returning their good core um, – that they had last year. The only thing that still concerns me with this Bengals squad is the offensive line. They are the weakest and, you know, just most underdeveloped offensive line in the league. When your quarterback is getting hit so many times in a single game, has the most sacks, has the most pressures, has the most hits, in the league, there is something wrong. And until the Bengals, you know, address it either by signing guys, making a trade for a guy, drafting young guys that have proven themselves at the college level that can then come in and, you know, maybe change things on the offensive line, line of the side as well. Um, or if it's a coaching thing with, you know, the offensive line coach, do you need to make a change there? Um, is there more film study, more weight room time, whatever it needs to be, you know, that that is where my issue lies with this Cincinnati squad. For me, it's corner. I mean, you need to update and align. You need to update your align and you need to be aggressive and bring in a strong corner and oh you mean you don't like eli apple no <laughs> no <laughs> that was the only reason i loved dallas playing the giants forever was because well we're gonna score at least one touchdown on eli apple absolute trash so i with the way the north is right now in the afc there's no reason they can't they can't repeat as the North champions. You know, I have them going 13 and four. They win the North. I have them going to the playoffs. Um, but I don't have them make uh, winning in the playoffs. And so I just I don't think. They're strong enough right now. I think if they can, if they can have another good draft and bring in some young uh, corner depth, I think that would help a lot. But if Eli Apple is your number one, then you're hurting. So I'm excited to kind of see what Dax Hill is going to do. Um, they kind of have, they have him at safety or he's listed as a safety, but on their roster, he's the second corner right now. So I think he can maybe beat Apple out. Um, 
I've heard positive things about Trey Flowers, cornerback from Oklahoma State back in 2018. I think they like him, but he hasn't been consistent enough to beat Apple out. So right now, Dax Hill has the job over at number two over Flowers. But I think that's what's going to come down to is can this young guy, six foot, 192, beat out and be more consistent than Eli Apple, who's 6'1", 199, you know? So. And there were, there were plenty of guys, draft-wise and free agency, that they could have gone out and signed. And either one they chose not to or it was a cap issue. And I, I don't see many names on this team that is leading it to being a cap issue. Um, so – Cincinnati in general just chose not to spend money this year. Yeah. And I don't know if they're doing that because they're wanting to you know, save money. I, I don't I don't know. I, look, I think they look at it. something. Burroughs in his going into his third season, you expect next year they'll give him a contract extension. So that could be potentially why they're they're doing this is because they're waiting to see just how much money they're going to have to give up to Burrow because obviously you, you have to think when it comes time for his extension, they're going to pay him higher than Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray and you know any other quarterback. He'll if he continues the way he, he played like last season. Um, you'd almost have to think that Cincinnati's going to drop the money and make him the highest paid quarterback he probably will be um will be rightfully so we don't know yet he's only really had one full season under his belt Mm -hmm. um but now you have to look at look at this so they got t higgins now he was a second round pick so they can't put the fifth year option on him um, but they have to re-sign him pretty soon. Then Joe Burrows comes up. Now, do you give him the fifth-year option and let him play under the fifth-year rookie year? Or do you go ahead and sign him early, and then when Jamar Chase comes up the next year, give him the five-year so you kind of extend that payout a little bit, which I would probably do that. I would probably give Chase the fifth-year option and I would sign Burrow and let him make more the second year on his contract when Chase is getting his fifth year. So mm-hmm. when Chase gets re-signed, Burrow's not making as much, so it might help even it out a little bit. Does that make sense? Yes. No, it does. It makes total sense, and that's what I would do as well. Um, I think you – what, Higgins, you said second year, so I think – Next year, you're giving Higgins an extension. I think you give Burrow his extension as well. Um, you give Chase that fifth-year option, and um, you know you then start start looking at uh, you know your running back core. And yeah, Joe Mixon he's he's provided well for him, but you have to think we're starting to get to the point to where running back it's. He's been in uh, – how many years has he been with 
um, Cincinnati now. Uh, since 2017. Yeah, so I mean, he's he's ending. He's towards the end now. So don't I don't look for them to continue with Mixon. If they do, it would be a short extension, and it would be more so as maybe a number two back, um, and look for them to maybe start going to the draft to f- start finding his replacement. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think P. Ryan's going to stay on here after this year. No. Um, and, and that's sad I, because P. Ryan was such a great college product and he just hasn't translated to the NFL game. Well, he has in a sense, but when you end up in Washington, it kind of hurts you no matter who you are. So I think he would have been a better back in like Seattle's type offense. Mm-hmm. And been that stable number two behind Chris Carson at the time. Um, you know, so he's a great fit right now behind Mixon because he's a solid number two. You know, he's a, kind of a little bit of a bulldozer type guy. Um, so he's a great solid number two, but I don't think he'll stay this year. Like you said, Mixon, his, his time's running out as well. And so they've got two young guys behind them at three and four, but I don't see them being, you know, Chris Evans might have some opportunity this year. I don't know if he's really anything special, but next year they're going to, they're going to have to draft a running back. Oh yeah. I don't think, I don't think you do it with your, you know, your first round pick. I think you do that with O line or corner. But Your maybe best second or third round, you get him. In my opinion, the best running backs I've seen in this league have typically come out of the third or fourth round. Yeah. So I am waiting if I'm Cincinnati until the third or fourth round next year in the draft. And, uh, you know, we're that's where I'm looking for it. Um, speaking of the draft, we need to uh, start planning since it is in Kansas City. And, uh, you know, we're, we need it. We need to get together and, you know, book, book some hotels and make sure we're at the draft in Kansas city. I would have loved to do that. If it's in Kansas city, I, it is. I could maybe sell Jennifer on, let's take a three day trip and me and Sean will work for half the day. And then we're, well, honestly, we could, hang out most of the day and then two hours before the draft go do something you know what i mean exactly and i i can show you my stomping grounds yeah it's been a while since i've been to kansas city see but um look at that see and where they're having the draft this year is at union station right in front of the fountains in front of the iconic you know liberty memorial and you've got the streetcar that takes you through the crossroads district down to the city market, everything else. So I mean, plenty to do. Um, great options for Jennifer and Lily. Um, and, you know, great options for us as well to be able to, you know, sit there, have fun and enjoy the draft um, and see what teams like the Bengals, the Steelers, the Browns and the Ravens do. No, I think that would be phenomenal. And I'm quickly looking at um, the top 20, top 20 list of 
running backs in college right now. And, you know, number one, they put Kenny uh, McIntosh from Georgia. He's not going to be there for the Bengals. But I think someone they can maybe get late who's kind of – I think he could be like a mix-in, but he needs to have a really good year. And it's Eric Gray from OU. And I'm not – I'm not saying that just because he's from OU. I, I watched him last year. He was he was really good, but he just – he didn't have enough to make uh-huh. him a top guy. And so I think with this new offense with Lebby, he might be able to put himself into a third-round draft position. Uh, another guy is Travis Dye from USC, 5'10". Now he's a little smaller at 205. Gray's 215, um, but I think, you know, those are two guys that you can maybe look at to see where they would line up for yeah. uh, Cincinnati. Hear me out on this, but I think who might fit well in Cincinnati um, would be Deuce Vaughn out of K-State. Yeah. No, that could be another great one. I The way he plays, his size and everything – I think he would fit well in that Cincinnati scheme. And he, he's kind of just like Joe Mixon is right now. And K-State's had a had a history of producing some really good running backs. Hello, Darren Sproles. Yeah. And someone Cleveland could look at getting is uh, Robinson from Texas. He's, mm-hmm. he's kind of that Nick Chubb back of just – physical downhill guy who's good at breaking tackles so yes. yeah it's definitely some uh some keys we can look at for sure but, so yeah for me i have them i have cincinnati winning the north right now yeah. i there, there's no reason why they why they can't um now i think the next team we talk about the pittsburgh steelers um i think it's a potential they could they could upset the Bengals um, for for the North, but it it'll be a couple games here and there. Whether it's in the division or you know just in conference, that will hurt Pittsburgh um, or help them in the way of actually you know contending for that AFC North title. Um, Big Ben is gone; he retired. They draft Kenny Pickett. Um, you've got Mitchell Trubisky and Mason Rudolph as well in this QB battle. And Rudolph is not giving up the fight. He he thinks it's his job to lose, um, which is interesting because I don't think he has a shot in this battle at all. Um, and then you have Juju Smith-Schuster who left in free agency to the Chiefs. And you bring back guys – that are still in this roster, like T.J. Watt and um, Najee Harris and Chase Claypool, who, in my opinion, has underperformed so far. Um, I think he had great expectations coming out of Notre Dame, but hasn't lived up to those yet. Um, and like, Pittsburgh can go either way, but it's, it's a Mike Tomlin-led team. And every single year Mike Tomlin has led this team. They've never had a losing record. 
and I don't think this is the year they have a losing record either. I think this this is the year he could have a losing record, and I think it's just because of quarterback um, and a little bit of offensive line, unless you know Harris becomes the next Derrick Henry and just takes over games. Um, you know, I have them seven and ten, and in third, I think they this is going to be a growing year, and next year I think is when they probably start fighting and taking over the division, possibly. And so I think, you know, it's – I have them winning against the Browns just because of defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I have the Browns winning week 18 because they have Watson back. So that that game right there could be a little difference and maybe – that puts them in second instead of third if they can beat Cleveland back, uh, you know, both times this year. But I just – it's a team that has too many question marks on offense. Their defense is great. We know that. They're, they're one of the best. Are they going to be able to maintain it all year? I'm not sure. Um, you know, if they can keep that defense for two or three years, this team's going to be scary in a couple of years if Kenny Pickett is the guy to take over. If he is not, then we're looking at, okay, who else is at quarterback in the draft or free agency or who can you trade for, um, you know, who who kind of fits that Ben, Rother, ben Roethlisberger style of being a pocket quarterback. He's big and physical. Now, I don't know if there is anybody right now. Uh, Garoppolo is the only guy that's available on my mind, but I don't see him as a Steelers quarterback. He doesn't. He doesn't fit the mold to me. No, and I think they missed the biggest opportunity in the draft. Um, I think instead of taking Kenny Pickett, they should have taken Matt Corral. Um, I think he fits that mold more of a Steelers, um, you know, gameplay and everything else in Ben Roethlisberger mold than what Kenny Pickett did. Yeah. And so I think as a whole, Pittsburgh went with the safe decision and go with the hometown kid that, you know, knows the stadium already and knows the area and knows the fans and everything else instead of bringing in a new face that could have probably gave you what you just had. Um, so I think they definitely, they, hey, you know, Pickett could, could come out and shock us, but there's just a few things with him um, that just don't, for my opinion, you know, prove to be worthy enough um, for that Pittsburgh position yet. Well, and I, I think Kenny Pickett's the guy. Um, and maybe I feel like that just because it's the whole uh, feel-good story, you know. But 
right now, Trubisky's taking over, who's not a bad quarterback. No. He's just in a rough spot with Chicago and an unstable offense. Um, took a year with the Bills. So I, I think if he can have a decent year, maybe, you know, we're, they know they're out of the playoffs. Let Kenny come in and finish the season up and let him develop a little bit. You can maybe see, okay, what do we really have with Kenny? Is he someone that we can trade? Is he someone that we can just keep on the roster and hold and maybe look somewhere else? Or is he a guy that we think really is the guy? Which I think he is. I I think he showed he showed enough in college that he could be an NFL guy. Because mm-hmm. I mean, let's let's face it, Pitt does not have a bunch of five and four star guys on their roster. No, no. And I mean, when you're breaking records that were set by Dan Marino, it says something. Yeah. But does he fit the mold of a Mike Tomlin led Steelers team? I just, I just don't see it yet. He's got to prove, prove himself to me. And until he proves that, and you know, that's why we have preseason and we have, these games where he's going to be all out and go and, you know, play for two or three quarters um, with first string and second string. Um, that's, that's why we have these games leading up to the regular season to where he can actually show what he can do. And until I'm able to see that on the field product here in the preseason, I'm just not sold on him in this offense yet. No, and I, I get that. I can I can understand that. So um I mean he's got he's got good weapons. Najee Harris, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, um, George Pickens, you've got Miles Boykin as well in there, um, Benny Snell Jr., um, Pat Fryermuth, uh good tight end. Um you've got Derek Watt. He can come in and, you know, produce you some, you know, quick yardage or give you some good blocks in the full pack position. Um, and then I'd, I'd even say you can throw T.J. Watt on that offensive side of the ball too. Why not? Uh, hey, I'm all down for it. Put him in a fullback role, maybe a oh. tight end role like his brother was a couple times. Let the dude be an all-pro on both sides. Yes. Put him at tight end or line him up in the slot and let him go out there and have some fun and just don't do it in the red zone. Do it the whole entire field or do what the Chiefs do with Kelsey and put him into a wildcat option. Yeah, I think that that would be something fun to watch. That would. Um, So we talk about this. Pittsburgh defense and the defense of Pittsburgh going all the way back until the inception of time has always been, you know, something to talk about because of their physicality, their play, the names of the players on this defense and everything else. And I I think you have to continue that again with this year's defense, Cameron Haywood, TJ Watt, um, Miles Jack, Mika Fitzpatrick, 
there are some star-studded names here that are physical and will make you pay. Yeah, this defense is a all-pro defense. And honestly, I've been doing some mock drafts for fantasy, and this is a defense that I typically try to get if I can early. And they've been going as like the sixth or seventh defense off the board, which is dumbfounding to me. And especially with their schedule, I don't understand why. And I, I know fantasy isn't like real football, blah, blah, blah. Whatever. Shut up. I don't care. Oh, it is. It is, though. It is. It, it, it correlates to what people are thinking of their defense. And people are not high on their defense. And I don't know why. They are a sack defense. They're a physical defense. Now, they're not the best on interceptions. I think that'll change. I think that'll come. Um, and I think, you know, we'll see this defense be a consistent dominant force in the next two to three years. And so I have them third. They might fight and get second and flip on the Browns, but I think they're still maybe a year or two away from being a number one being a solid number one in this division. Mm-hmm. No, and I, I think only reason why the Browns are the number one defense is, uh, you know, Miles Garrett right there. Exactly. And so, and Jadavion Clowney. And see, I'm not, I think Clowney is, he's Clowney's not at the enough. End. He's at the end of his uh, career. Yeah, Miles Garrett, I think I don't know if he finishes his career in Cleveland. He might end up being kind of like a uh, Dwight Freeney. Once he leaves Cleveland, he maybe bounces around for a team or two mm-hmm. for you know, one or two years and has success some success and kind of ends up ring chasing. Um almost kind of like Mom Miller. I'm not saying Mom Miller ring chased. Um, he was on an organization that was not thriving and knew that they were not in championship mode. So he went to a team that could suit him. Um, so I think that's kind of what's going to happen with Miles Garrett, where in a couple years we're going to see who's a top team looking to compete and can he go to that team and help them win. So we're looking at the Patriots, the Cardinals, um, I'm not going to say the Cowboys because I don't trust this in the playoffs. The Chiefs. The Chiefs would be a good one if he wants to stay in the AFC. Um, and see, I think that's the hard part. Do you want to stay in the AFC? If so, you don't want to stay in your division. So I can maybe see him going, depending on how the Jags are, maybe he goes to the Jags. I don't know if they're going to be a They'll be a playoff team in a couple of years, but I don't know if they'll be a Super Bowl type team. But that's you know the Chiefs would be one, the Patriots would be one, and right now I think the Cardinals could be one in a year or two, especially with JJ Watt. You know his time starts dwindling down pretty soon. Um, 
So that'll be a talking point when it comes off season. Yes. For sure. So, so now the Ravens the Ravens are a huge question mark for me this year. Yes. I I have them finishing last and I have them going six and eleven. They finished last last year just due to injury concerns. They traded uh, Marquise Brown away. So Rashad Bateman should be their number one deep threat right now. They have a ton of young guys at wide receiver that are unproven. Their defense is good. Above, I would definitely say above average. So I'm, I'm say good, but they're. I don't think they're a top five defense anymore. Yeah, hey, I, this offense has how many running backs that are still hurt? Now Dobbins is looking to be good and maybe ready for Week One possibly. Gus Edwards, who I was a fan of, might not be ready until later in the season. Lamar looks good, but you can't keep running Lamar as much as you are and expect him to be a dominant pass thrower. We know he can throw the ball. That's not the question. It's can he be efficient at throwing the ball while being a dominant runner? And I don't think he can. I think it wears him I think it wears him out more than he thanks and more than they think yes and so i i don't think he can sustain being a top quarterback if he's going to be a top runner well you you look at his his receiving core and he doesn't have weapons there to throw to anymore um the only guy i'm only guy i'm looking at on that offensive side of the ball that is reliable and has sure hands and can get you yardage is Mark Andrews, the tight end. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm sorry when your whole entire offense is either going to be Lamar Jackson running the ball or JK Dobbins and Gus Edwards running the ball, or you throwing to Mark Andrews. It's Harbaugh needs to do something. And I love John John Harbaugh. Um, I, it is Jim, yeah, because Jim Harbaugh is at Michigan. John Harbaugh has been. I can't stand the Harbaugh brothers. Um, John's the John, one that wins. Jim's the yes, one that chokes. Exactly. Yes. Um, but I mean, Harbaugh's got to figure this out. I Lamar. I like him, but. I've never thought the hype for him has been warranted. Um, I, I think he's great when it comes to running. When it comes to the quarterback side of the ball, I just – I don't see the accuracy. I don't see, you know, the mindset, um, the field vision. It's It's – there's missing pieces. 
And I think if he was able to get those figured out and start building on them, then we could see a very dangerous Lamar Jackson. And there's been games where he's been able to do that. But those games have been the games where he has been pass-heavy and barely ran the ball. Which, and in, and which until, plays to their style. I mean, yes. they want to run the ball, score, run the clock, which is fine. But when it gets down to playing a team that can compete with you and – now it's fourth quarter, there's three minutes left, and you're down by three or you're down by seven or you're tied, can he do that and take over a game? And I I think I agree with you. I don't think he can. You know, and until until he can show me that, I, I don't see the hype. I don't see – you know, a major extension warranted for him. Um, in my honest opinion, I, I think if I'm Baltimore, I'm looking in the next year or two to see in the draft who I can find to be a replacement for Lamar. Um, because if he continues to run like he does um, and put his body on the line like he does, he's going to have issues like RG three did. Yeah. And I mean, he gets one leg injury. His he's, career he's done for. is a lot different. And so yes. now he becomes, he has to be more of a pocket guy that scrambles or, instead or of a look, run look, guy. Teddy Bridgewater, for example. Yes. Yes. Teddy t- Lamar and Teddy almost identical when it comes to the playing styles with first out of college and look what happened to Teddy, that serious, terrible knee injury, complete reconstruction. And he has not been the same since. And so if that happens to Lamar, I think you can put him on the sideline, give him the clipboard and call on him every now and then when you need him. But he's got to take better care of his body. The Ravens have got to do a better job of taking care of him and finding a better situation and then keeping the rest of the guys on this team healthy as well. Um, And the Ravens were always known to have a great strength and conditioning program and, you know, just nutritional development, everything. And I don't know if something has changed or if it's just from the way coming out of COVID and everything with how the guys could not actually be at the facilities and work out and follow everything like they used to before pre-COVID. That's why we have seen so many injuries with this Raven squad. And, And that could potentially be it. But until they figure out what's going on and how to get these guys healthy again and get him rehabbed. I'm not looking for this Ravens team to produce. Um, I think six to seven wins is a max for them. They're fighting for third or fourth place in the division, but they're not going to, I think the strong games you're going to see out of the Ravens are going to be against Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh and 
Baltimore always just have extremely strong physical games that usually come down to the wire. Um, and that's just the way that rivalry is. But I'm not saying now, Baltimore. No, go ahead and finish. Go finish. I, I'm not seeing Baltimore as as one to, you know, put my money on in Vegas or anything. Um, I, I think they are are the team that I, I I sit on them for a couple years and until they prove me otherwise. Um, in the draft and in free agency and off season and in the locker room with how they can rehab their guys and get them healthy again, then I'm not being, I'm not buying in on Baltimore yet. No. And there's one guy that I'm looking at in free agency that I'm looking to see where he goes. And I keep picking him up late in dynasty and fantasy and dynasty drafts just because I'm, I'm intrigued on where he's going to go. And it's Will Fuller. Now, I would like him to go to Dallas because, you know, we James Washington just got hurt. So we, we need someone else. And I would like a veteran guy that's had significant playing time to be that next third option. He has injury problems. He's, you know, kind of injury-prone-ish. Um, never injury. really plays more than 11 games a season. And suspension issues as well. Yeah. So he could be kind of that veteran number two, number three option for the Ravens with Andrews being your number one tight end, probably your number one option. Will Fuller being your number two and then letting – Bateman kind of be your number two, number three, and being more of your deep threat type guy. Your quick, your bubble screens, your drags, and your deep threat. But Will Fuller kind of be your middle field guy, and let Andrews kind of be your possession, um, possession type guy a little bit. Um, now we know Andrews is physically phenomenal with his ability to be a deep threat guy over the middle a little bit um, and kind of out muscle against some linebackers or smaller safeties. Um, but I think Will Fuller can maybe be that third third guy to maybe help provide a more sustainable veteran presence. Mm-hmm. But can he stay healthy for the whole year and play the whole year? You know, he's not a – his best year, I'm looking at uh, Bleacher Report, his best year was 2020 with 53 catches, 879 yards, and eight touchdowns. That was a career high in every field. So you can't expect him to be a thousand yard guy. But, and this is why I want him on Dallas, if he can come in, catch 40 catches, five to 600 yards, and have three or four touchdowns, I'm happy. And for a third, for him to be a third option type threat, I, I think that's a great, great position for him. And so the Ravens really could be that type of player for him, because besides him, T.Y. Hilton's the only guy on, on free agency that's really interesting. Which is, really shocks me that he had. Neither T.Y. Hilton or Will Fuller have been picked up, especially T.Y. Yeah, 
with him being just, and I think it's just because he's older, he's not flicked as a deep threat anymore, but he could be a great, you know, almost like Randall Cobb, just be a great possession guy for you and just let him get a five-yard catch and then see if he can make, you know, make something after the catch and get a couple of extra yards. OBJ is the other guy that's on free agency, but no one's signing him right now because we don't know when he's going to return. Exactly. It, it might not be until November. So you don't we'll want to waste that cap space or injury reserve list or anything. Exactly. No one wants to pull the trigger until they have to, which I wouldn't either. So, yeah. So, I mean, this Baltimore squad, I mean, they've definitely, they've got offense definitely going to be the rough spot for them. Um, I like, I like the defense and I think I only like the defense because of Calais Campbell and Marcus Peters. Um, Patrick Queen, I, I like in the linebacker spot. Uh, mm-hmm. Very physical, my goodness, and just does a good job of just commanding uh, that linebacking core as well. Um, Marlon Humphrey, good corner, um, definitely gets burned at times as well. But between him and Peters, it's nice. And then they picked up Kyle Fuller. Um, this off season as well. Uh, so, you know, that's a good addition there. And it's still weird seeing for me, um, Justin Houston listed on a roster. That's not the chiefs um, between now Indianapolis and now Baltimore. Um, this will be his second year with Baltimore. Uh, but he's a good one to come off the bench and either bring in down at a defensive end spot or outside linebacker to rush the quarterback. So defense really doesn't have that many questions. I would say it's just, again, keeping them healthy and continuing where you picked up from last year. Exactly. And I think this defense keeps them in more games then their offense can can keep up with, if that makes sense. Yes, it completely does. And then, ye, do we talk about the GOAT? Uh, why not? So, I mean, Justin Tucker, I, he, he is the GOAT. I don't think we'll ever find a better kicker. I mean, I think it'll eventually happen, but... Yes, eventually, but right now, I mean, find me a more consistent kicker in NFL history. I don't think you can. No, not right now. Um, I like Cincinnati's young kicker. He had a very impressive rookie year. Yeah. Yeah. Came in clutch and... uh, multiple multiple games especially in the playoffs yeah so i think he could really be um he could maybe be a future you know quote star kicker um if he can just be consistent uh throughout his career like tucker has 
Mm-hmm. Um, or Justin Tuck. Um, it's Justin Tuck. Okay, I thought I was right. I can't remember nowadays. Justin Tuck um, is a defensive line, or yeah, okay. End. I knew I knew there was like a Tuck, but I don't know yeah. why I just switched names all of a sudden. But anyways, so the Ravens are. I just there's too many question marks on offense. Yes, we don't know what their run game is going to look like. We don't know what their receiver core can do. Um, Bateman didn't have a great season last year, so we're, you know, we're anticipating can he really be a number one option right now? So we'll see. Now, I mean, I don't know about you. I think we've kind of hit the nail on the coffin with the AFC North. Um, I think they're going to be more so the the it's between the north and the south um, for the lesser division in the in on the AFC side um, because I think with either either division you, it's going to be one team probably controlling it um, with either division and then the rest are just going to kind of be middle of the pack. Um, but definitely ranking the divisions themselves on the AFC side, I've got the West, and then I'd probably go the AFC East. I'd put the AFC South over the North. Um, and, uh, yeah, well, I mean, what do you say? Um, that's hard. That's hard because I think the South has a lot of young talent. The South definitely has more young talent, but when will will it capitalize? Yeah, and I I don't know if they will. And I think the North's defenses on all four teams are above average. And when you look at the South – the Colts have a good defense. The Titans do sometimes, depending on the game. Uh, the Jaguars are growing and becoming a better defense. The Texans have no defense. So I think I would still pick the North over the South when it comes head-to-head matchups and stuff. Um But yeah, I think I'm just gonna go to north. I kind of favor the north over the south right now. Okay, and then probably AFC West is your top division. Oh, absolutely, by far. I, I think, <laughs> like, like I said, I think all four of these teams could make the playoffs, and yes. that is ridiculous and crazy. But I think it could happen. And, you know, it almost happened last year with the NFC West. Exactly. Like, and, what? and I told you last year, I did this, I did the predictions like 20 times. And half the time I had the NFC West, all four of them making the playoffs. And well, it came down to one game. 
did I not, you know, and just a year ago, I think yesterday, we released um, our uh, predictions for last year. Um, I think we did. And so now I've got to go back and look. But... Which, last year, we got into the middle of the season, and I kept going with what I predicted back in August. So instead of changing with the season, I was just like, now I got Dallas winning this game, and I got Baltimore winning this game. Instead of just changing with the season, I'm not doing that this year. Mm -hmm. I have my predictions. I'm going to go with them for maybe the first two or three weeks. And then from then on, I'm going with how it looks and how I feel with the current season. So I'm looking at my predictions from last year, Chance. And here, here is what I had in the way of predictions for the AFC. So I had – and I'll start with the AFC North. I had the Browns winning the North last year at 13-4. and four. Then the Pittsburgh Steelers at 11-6. and six. The Ravens at ten and seven, and then the Bengals at two and fifteen last year. Boy, was I wrong! Say that um, again. The Browns were thirteen and four. I had last year. Okay. I had I had the Steelers at eleven and six. I had the Ravens at ten and seven, and I had the Bengals at two and fifteen. I probably had them just as low as well, to be honest. So, then looking at the AFC South, I had the Jaguars winning the division at 11-6, and six, thinking Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer were going to just immediately come in and go nuts. Um, then the Titans going 10-7, and seven, the Colts going 3-14, and 14, and the Texans going 3-14. and 14. Yeah, I think we were both super high on the Jaguars because we thought mm-hmm. Urban Meyer could, you know, everywhere he's been, he's had success. So it just made us think there's it, no it, reason why it won't happen again. It made which, sense. Yeah, um, which was, you know, dumb on our part because after about two or three weeks, I started regretting that decision immediately. So, let's see here. I am looking right now at the Twitter page and seeing if you posted your predictions. I'm trying to remember what my login was last year for this site. Apparently, that's not what it is, and I don't remember. So I might just have to register all over again. Okay, so here so here's your predictions right here. I have found them. Okay, so your AFC North, you had the Browns 13 and 4 as well. Um you had the Ravens at 12 and 5. 
you had the Steelers at seven and ten, and the Bengals at three and fourteen. Okay. Your AFC, your AFC South, you had the Titans at twelve and five. And so, let me give you a a little feed on this here. So. You actually predicted the Titans' record correctly. The Titans went 12-5, and five and you predicted that correctly. Um, you... did not pick anyone's record correctly in the AFC North. Um, you had the Colts at 6-11, and 11, the Jaguars at 3-14, and 14, and the Texans at 1-16. And hey, um, that was pretty close. You had the Jaguars' win-loss record correct. Um, so props to you there. The AFC East, I had the Bills going sixteen and one, the Dolphins going eight and nine, the Patriots going three and fourteen. And the Jets going one and sixteen. For the AFC East, you had the Bills also going sixteen and one, the Patriots going ten and seven, which was correct. They did go ten and seven. Um, the Dolphins going ten and seven, and then the Jets also going one and sixteen. Okay. So. And then, lo and behold, the AFC West, we both had the Chiefs going 16-1. and one. I, had the char- I had the Chargers going 11-6. And, and you had the Chargers going 14-3. and three. Uh, The Raiders, I had going 9-8, and eight, while you had the Broncos going 9-8. and eight, And I had the... Uh, Broncos going four and thirteen, and you had the Raiders going three and fourteen. Okay. So, and then just to remind you, then on your playoff picks, you had the Chiefs as the number one seeds, uh, seed, the Chargers as the five seed, the Titans as the four seed. The Bengals as the two, the all right, the Bengals, the Bills as the two seed, the Browns as a three seed, um, and the Ravens as a six seed in the AFC. So Chiefs, Bills, Browns, Titans, Chargers, Ravens, and Patriots were your seven seeds in the AFC. Okay. And so the Ravens. And the Chargers didn't make it. Uh, Cincinnati made it instead. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So, no, overall, not bad. Not bad. Not great, but not terrible. No. So, uh, okay, here it is. I was finally able to find my pictures. Because I, I took pictures of it and saved it on my phone. Mm-hmm. So now I'm looking at it. Yeah, the whole time I've been trying to find these stupid pictures. Uh, okay. See. So 
it's Cleveland. I think Cleveland should have performed better than they did, but Baker got hurt and he played through the injury, so that that was not great. The Bengals were a complete shock. Tennessee, Buccaneers. I think we, I mean, Green Bay, we kind of know they were going to win. Well, hey, now, don't be jumping to the NFC just yet. We haven't started them yet. Well, no, I'm just, I'm going off of last year. I, I know, I know. I'm, we'll touch on them when we start NFC next week. I got the, okay, so the AFC North was, or East was pretty accurate. Now, game-wise, they weren't, but I did predict those Patriots and the Bills to make it. Okay, so not terrible, but not great. But, all right, well, I think... uh, that makes for a good, good little upset on the AFC North, and I'm looking forward to breaking down the NFC. Yes, I am too. So we start the NFC breakdown next week, and uh, you know this one will be fun because we're going to start it off with the NFC West, the reigning Super Bowl champions with the Los Angeles Rams, the Arizona Cardinals, the Seattle Seahawks, and those San Francisco 49ers. So we'll get to talk that. We'll get to talk Garoppolo. Uh, we'll get to talk what uh, the Rams have done this offseason and the abnormal uh, elbow pain from Matthew Stafford right now, which everyone is kind of concerned right now with that. And then just what's going to happen with the rest of the NFC West. We'll then give you uh, 15 through 11 in our NCAA top 25 preseason countdown leading up to week one of the NCAA season. And uh, coach, anything I'm missing for next week? I think that's it. Um, we can maybe briefly talk on coin toss about quarterback Madden ratings. We we didn't bring that back up last mm. week, so we can That's very do true. that next week. Now, one thing I forgot to mention at the beginning of the show, um, it's been a month since your daughter's last sponsorship, and you've done it again, or she's done it again. She is now sponsored by Chick-fil-A. Right. We, yeah, we found uh, a little Chick-fil-A themed uh, onesie and then a um, headband or bow or whatever, uh, which she did not want to keep on very long. And then Jennifer bought the little pants. Um, and so it was super cute. We got to do that for her 11, 11 month old photos. Um, can't believe she's going to be one year old in a month, but she is, she's doing so great. 
her heart is doing amazing. Um, so we're excited. We're happy. And I think she's endorsing Chick-fil-A, even though we didn't get anything from <laughs> them. But, uh, you know, that was awesome. And um, I think Jennifer's having fun doing these little themes with her. So we'll see, you know, how much more money I have to dish out for these themes in the future. You know, I was actually really shocked that uh, there wasn't um, – that you just said that the Chick-fil-A shirt was – bought I, I thought that was something jennifer would have made on uh with like a cricket no i think i think she bought it on probably etsy etsy or something i think so uh, <laughs> so it's definitely made yeah. by a cricket made with the cricket then but i mean if yeah. you haven't if you haven't gotten your wife a cricket yet you need to um i'm I, i'm glad i don't i haven't gotten my wife one yet but my sister just got one and she is producing fake Nike apparel for my nephew right now. That's awesome. So, I mean, hey, if you can go out and buy a, with little kids clothes, a $2 t-shirt and then just slap a Nike graphic on it, why not? Exactly. I mean, so, the kids, won't, kids won't know a difference. No, absolutely not. And you're going to save yourself so much money. Exactly. So, um, yeah, so I think that wraps it up for us. Um, another great episode in the trenches sports, make sure to follow us at sports trenches on Twitter, uh, Apple podcast, Spotify, anchor, uh, get the listenership back up. I mean, good. We have not. And I, I think that's one thing on our part too. Uh, we've kind of lacked on the sharing of the podcast here the last couple of weeks, but you know, definitely if you guys are listening, share it with everyone else that, you know, and get our name out there and we'll give you a shout out. Let us know that you listen, give us your comments, your feedback, your questions, anything. And who knows, maybe we'll just include you in the podcast as well. Bring you in on as a guest and then we'll really have some fun. Right. So I know you've already got someone lined up for our first guest uh, whenever it does come down to it, um, one of your former players. So I'll, I'm looking forward to that when we get into uh, the swing of things later on down in the season. And, uh, yeah, any final thoughts? Nope, I'm good. Y'all have a good uh, rest of the week, and we'll look forward to breaking the NFC down next week. All right, that wraps things up here. Episode 8 of In the Trenches Sports is in the books.